Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we're officially endorsing Joe Biden for president. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Look, we're not thrilled about this either, but I guess you all were too cool to vote for Elizabeth Warren, so here we are. On an Amtrak train to Wilmington. Doot, doot. Emily, please just, please let me die. Well, um, just imagine Joe Biden doing Taco from the Adventure Zones. Thank you for having us on your choo-choo. <laughs> that's, that's a little more palatable. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, Kamala Harris is cool, so, like, cool. Look, well, well, I have a whole thing at the end. We'll get into it. I'd say you have a whole thing for the 15 pages preceding that, 16, yeah, 16 pages. Sorry. So, hi, guys. It's election time. Yay. Now, you may be someone who doesn't live in the United States thinking, but Sarah and Emily, how does this apply to me? You should understand other countries. That's why. Because we definitely know all about your electoral systems and how they work. Canada still uses a king, right? Yes. Mm. Now, for real, though, like I took an Irish politics class when I was in Ireland. I still don't understand how parliamentary elections work. Yeah. Every time I try to think about the way the British do stuff, like it makes my head hurt. I just know that some dude wanted to blow parliament up and then we had V for Vendetta. So Yes. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Anyway. <laughs> so we're going to talk about elections today. And my sources for this are uh, the Smithsonian Mag, The Atlantic, How Stuff Works, Wikipedia, uh, and my own brain. Yes, because you uh, have some actual experience in the field. Yes, I have a degree in political science and I've worked on political campaigns, mostly in fundraising, but I've done like communications and organizing. I had many different internships while I was in college. So I got to do everything. I like how your area of expertise is something that's like useful. I mean, I got exactly five years of use out of it. And then I switched uh, industries. Yeah, but the only episodes that I've been able to put my like and my brain stamp of approval have been baking and perfume. So like, congratulations. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's cooler. But Anyway, um, I've also seen The West Wing eight full times. And I was telling Sadie as I was writing this episode, I'm not sure what I know because I learned it in college or because I learned it from The West Wing. I mean, it's kind of like how I don't know if I remember the plot to uh, Star Wars Episode One because I've seen it like 10 times or because I really like that Weird Owl song. It doesn't matter. You still know it. It's one of the two. Uh, So I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert. Like I said, uh, I haven't worked in politics for about five years, and that's an entire lifetime. Um, But I do actually know what I'm talking about. It's a sad lifetime. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Let's let's find out how this happens so we can put it to good use. Yes. So for this episode, we are going to be talking specifically about American elections, because One, that's where the majority of our listeners are, and also we're facing a huge existential threat of an election right now. Uh, Did you know we have an election coming up? I'm sure no one has heard about it. I was asking you as a funny, but yes. Uh, So we are going to start with some very basic civics, just to make sure everyone is on the same page. So 
maybe for a lot of you people, like I know people are definitely more engaged today than they have been historically in the past. Uh, but it might have been a while since you were in high school. Maybe you haven't watched the rewest or haven't rewatched the West Wing in a couple of years. So, I mean, also the American educational system is a joke. So maybe you just never learned. I actually did have to take a citizenship class and an economics class. Yeah, I did too. I think economics was, I can't remember if economics was only one semester or not. I also had to take a class called personal finance where we had to make our own (laughs) budget, including like car payments and stuff on a $2,000 a month budget, where at the time (laughs) I was like, I'm going to make way more than $2,000. And then I didn't until I was like 27. So it was all useless. (laughs) At least you had like a personal finance class. We, I mean, I think our school offered them, but they did not encourage us to take them. It was them. also Junction City, Oregon, where like housing prices and food prices. I thought you were going to say it was Junction City, Oregon, where uh, no one graduated high school anyway or something. Well, like I mean, a hundred of us did. Better than some schools. All right. <laughs> um, and also, I'm going to note that I am going to speak largely in generalities because a lot of election laws and processes depend on which state you are in. And I cannot talk about all 50 at once. Um, Also, please don't expect this episode to be entirely nonpartisan because obviously we are godless liberals. We endorsed endorsed a candidate for president in the intro. We're fine. I honestly, I would be astounded if we had any Republican listeners. We did. And then they left bad (laughs) iTunes reviews and then fucked off. (laughs) To go find Bigfoot. (laughs) So in the U.S., we hold national elections every two years where we vote on some combination of candidates for president, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. Uh, So we have two major parties. We have the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, alternatively known as the GOP, which literally stands for the Grand Old Party, (laughs) in case you ever wondered. uh, They haven't had a fun party since they were Democrats. So you can't really boil either party down into simple terms, but for the sake of giving context to our international listeners or some American listeners who might not know where the line is, in very broad strokes, Democrats are generally progressive or left-leaning in their politics. They advocate for a stronger federal government and tend to be more liberal on social issues. Uh, Republicans are right-leaning and conservative. They want individual states to hold more decision-making power than the federal government. There are a lot of asterisks in both of these statements, <laughs> and yeah. that's primarily just due to the fact that we've only got the two. So like in other nations with other electoral systems, they might have a dozen parties with varying political ideologies, but we've only got the two, and we'll get to why in a minute, um, but they have to appeal to a much broader section of the ideological spectrum. That's mm. how it works, but I forgot. I was going to make a joke in here, like, Democrats want to turn all your children gay, and Republicans want to euthanize the poor. I mean, at least the second part is right. (laughs) Which is generally, yeah, generally about right. So the president. The president is elected every four years, and those tend to be the election cycles that garner the most attention because the majority of people in this country do not give a shit about anything other than who is in the White House. Which is not a good thing, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah, no. Uh, it's he, uh, the president, he or she, historically, (laughs) historically, always, literally, we've never elected a woman, but that's a whole other episode. Uh, he is not actually directly elected by the president, by the people. They are instead chosen through a system called the Electoral College, which we will talk about in detail later. Specifically by my request. 
Yes. Uh, 2020 obviously is a presidential election year, which is why are why you're seeing all those political ads on TV or YouTube. If you still watch TV yeah. like that. I don't. I have not seen. No, that's a lie, because when I was watching Unsolved Mysteries on Peacock, I got a lot of ads. Really? But Well, yeah, I, I get ads on Peacock, but they're not political ads. No, no, no political ads. It was like the same Dove ad. Yeah, I get just get ads for Target where they have like kids and using wheelchairs and Halloween costumes and other dope shit. Oh god, I've it wasn't that one, but there's definitely a Target commercial I saw about like drive up like eight times. Anyway, <laughs> the old ladies exercising. Yep, yep, yep that okay. one. <laughs> uh, so anyway, election cycles in which we don't vote for president they are called midterms, and those elections will determine the makeup of the Senate in the House, in the middle of a presidential term. Hence the name. Huh. You see what I mean about, like, this is some very basic stuff we're getting into. So I apologize for all you, like, people who actually care and are plugged in and want to turn it off. But you know what? Not everybody is you. I'd say we'd figure out how to make it so you can just skip past the basic civics. But you have to listen to this. You should listen. All right. Every state elects two senators for a total of 100. And each senator serves a six-year term. Senate elections are staggered, so every two years, about like one third of the Senate will be up for re-election. That makes it much harder to flip the balance of power from one party to the other, just because turnover takes longer. So like, if you're mad that your newly elected senator just voted to make it legal to hunt homeless people for sport, first, you should have paid more attention to his campaign platform, but also you won't be able to vote him out for another six years. You know, it really says a lot about the current climate that for a second I was like, oh, fuck, which senator was that? <laughs> It was Ted Cruz. Probably. Uh, so in the House of Representatives, there are 435 members. Uh, the number each state gets is dependent on the proportion of its population as determined by the census. And that's why you have to fill out the census. Yes, this is one of the reasons the census is very important. Uh, so each representative serves a specific geographic district, and each district is drawn to represent about 700,000 people. Uh, every, every state is guaranteed at least one representative. <laughs> I'm talking a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Sometimes I forget to breathe. Anyway, each state is guaranteed at least one representative, regardless of population. Uh, though because the number of representatives is capped at 435, it's possible for states to lose or gain seats as their population shifts in proportion to the rest of the country. So if 700,000 people move from Kansas to Wyoming... Wyoming might gain another seat. Kansas will probably lose one. Yeah. Okay. That sort of thing. Just a mass migration? Why? Yeah, I mean, if half of Kansas crumbled into the ground because the Hellgate under uh, the Stull Cemetery caved in, like something like disastrous like that, it could happen. All right. <laughs> this is our first episode in October. It's spooky season. Oh, God, it is. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry for this very spooky episode. As a note, there are an additional six non-voting members of the House, and they represent the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the territories of American Samoa, Guam, the Northern Northern Mariana Islands, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Wait, why Islands. the fuck can't they vote? They're part of the United States. While they do have some floor pr privileges and can participate in some House functions, they're not allowed to vote on any actual legislation, and if you think that's some bullshit, well, welcome to the but, elections but, but, episode. But, but DC, that's like... Having a party at your house and then not being able to pick the playlist. Yeah, no, D.C., I mean, all of, honestly, all of the territories are really terribly represented. 
But D.C. is just... It's a state. It should be a state. Just going to say. I'm already mad. Or if, like, we're not going to officially make them a state because 50 is such a nice round number. Like, give them representation well, in Congress. Well, then, like, let's saw Florida off. No one gives a shit. God, if only. Or we can get rid of, like, Arizona. Florida and Texas can go off and be their own states. Yeah, Arizona, Texas does want to be. Actually, we can just get rid of Idaho so all the white supremacists are sovereign citizens like they want to (sighs) be. I would say Alaska, but now Alaska's pretty chill. I mean, they're not It's literally chill. They're just off there. Plus, it's one of the best vantage points for us to keep an eye on Russia. (laughs) Exactly. So members of the House serve two-year terms, which means every single election cycle, we could theoretically elect an entire new House. This never happens, obviously, because a lot of members run for re-election, and depending on your districts, there are many incumbents who face little to no competition for their seats. I was going to go into a big thing about gerrymandering here. That's we another, don't have time. That's a mini. We'll do yeah. a mini. <laughs> there are no term limits in Congress, either the House or the Senate, so a representative can run for re-election as many times as they want until they either decide to step down, you know, resign in disgrace, die, or they're defeated in a primary or general election. Still, the constant re-election does make the House a much more dynamic and flippable body than the Senate, where that's where you'll see most of the dynamic shifts as parties rise and fall in favor. Yeah, I haven't been mad at the House as often as I have the Senate. Well, yeah, it's, well, I mean, there's still reasons to be mad at the House. Well, yes, there's always Having the Democrats in power has been an improvement. Uh, but yeah, that's why like the 2018 midterms, you hear a lot about the blue wave, but we didn't manage to flip the Senate. It's just because the Senate map in 2018 was very red. <laughs> like all the states that were up for re-election were very conservative states that were going to be hard to flip, uh. even in a good year. Hence, yeah. Let's not think about the Senate right now because it's giving me anxiety. <laughs> oh, I meant to smoke some weed before we started this. <laughs> that would have been a good idea. I can go do that now. Hold on. <laughs> go grab an edible. Come back and we'll talk about state and local Oh, no, I have elections. to cook dinner. This is not edible. <laughs> All right. Took a couple hits off a car- cartridge called, like, I don't know, Chewbacca's ass or something weird. Chewbacca's ass. Okay. <coughs> Fuck. <laughs> Let's cut that. <laughs> the part where I took too big of a hit and then died? <laughs> yeah. Now I got to leave it in because that was a pretty good, pretty good bit. Kind of leavens the situation sure yeah (sighs) so elections are also held on the state and local level and these are arguably more important than anything that's happened happening on a national level like granted like the last four years has been a very visceral example of what can happen when we put the wrong people in power uh the fact remains that most of the decisions that affect your day-to-day life are still happening in state legislatures, and city councils. It's true. Like, everything's been shit, but I live in Oregon, so I have remained mostly safe. You got kind of a nice little blue buffer. Yeah. Uh, So, as I mentioned earlier, each state and uh, even to some degree each municipality has a lot of leeway in how and when they elect their governing bodies. So I'm not going to be able to give a single comprehensive overview on how everything works everywhere. But generally speaking, each state will elect their own constitutional officers like the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state. uh, And most have their own bicameral or two-body legislature similar in structure to that of the federal government. 
The only state that doesn't is Nebraska. They have a unicameral or unicameral government with a single ostensibly nonpartisan legislative body. How's that working for them? I mean, they're Nebraska. Yeah, you don't really hear about them much, so maybe it's going well. Um, they're a red state, aren't they? They're a red state. Nebraska. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's an entire red hole, black hole in the middle. Of the- no, we'll talk about it. Hmm. Uh, so nonpartisan in this case, and typically the case in other quote unquote nonpartisan elections, simply means that the candidates do not declare their affiliation with one party or another. You can it pretty much tell. Yeah. Though. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that they don't have any political opinions, just that, you know, the position is intended to operate outside of the two-party structure, ostensibly. That's why it's important to read, I guess this might be an Oregon-specific thing, but they always send us, like, a big pamphlet that has everybody's, like, stances on stuff and a bio, because we do mail voting. That sounds nice. We don't have that. Um, Really? You just, you have to... We'll talk about what we have in a bit. Because I get into it, but... I don't know how voting works when it's not mail-in. So most state governments follow the same two-year election cycle as a federal government. Who gets elected, which years can vary. Like, most state governors and other executives, like the president, serve four-year terms. That doesn't necessarily mean every state elects a new governor at the same time. Like, Minnesota gubernatorial elections are during midterm years, so... We elected a new governor in 2018, yeah. But some states have them in sync with presidential elections. It kind of just depends on where you are. Uh, New Jersey and Virginia, I think, follow some godless off-year election cycle where their state elections always fall the year after a presidential election. (laughs) So, like, they'll elect a new governor in 2021. All right. I mean, if that works for them. Whatever. I don't even know who their current governor is. Uh, Local municipal elections can vary even more. Like, who was on your ballot on any given year is going to depend... A lot on where you're at. You might be voting for judges, your sheriff, who's on the school board, who's in charge of your soil and water conservation district. Like, the sky's the limit. <laughs> I don't know what other people vote on in other states. Those are a lot of things that turn out Yeah, I'm us. trying to remember. I know that, like, our city council members, it's a, we're filling positions this year. Yeah. I got, I can't even remember when we last had city elections. It might have been 20, no, it's an off year. 2009 was when I worked the mayor's election. Yeah, we'll have another mayoral election next year. Anyway, so like states, generally they will fall on the same cycle as national elections because no one actually goes out to vote when it's just local elections on their own, Uh, which actually that is the best reason to make a point not only to get out and vote when you have off your elections, but to fill out your ballot entirely. It's like, Lack of voter engagement means these elections can often come down to, like, just a few dozen votes, and that makes it a lot easier for unqualified, terrible people to get elected. Yeah, I mean, I, there, was a, there was a lack of voter turnout on a national level a couple of years ago, and look how that turned out. Yeah. Lower turnout, not a great thing. If your secretary of state has a website that is worth a damn, you should be able to, like, go in, pop in your address, and pull up a sample ballot listing, like, every race you have to vote for. That's what we have in Minnesota and they'll often like link directly to Canada's website from the sample ballot. Um, if they have one, if yours doesn't for whatever reason, like a quick Google is usually all you need to find it, or at least a news story. Like you don't need to spend hours researching every single local candidate. You just need to put in just enough due diligence to make sure you're not electing a flat earther to your school board. Yeah. And if you live in Oregon, read the goddamn pamphlet. Yeah. 
God, that it's really nice. <laughs> It's it can get kind of fuzzy in Minnesota, especially with these like smaller elections, because not every candidate has a website, especially for like school board. And I do diligently vote in school board elections, despite the fact that that has no direct consequences for me. But like you have to live with the children that are yeah, being it's educated. Like, I don't want the kids in this neighborhood to have decent schools <laughs> just because I'm not raising them doesn't mean I don't have to deal with them. It takes a village, Sarah. God, if only more people in this country thought that way. Well, you know, I am exceptional. <laughs> My throat still hurts from that giant rip, by the way. <laughs> Good. That's what you get for being a pot smoker. <laughs> it was a vape. Doubly so. <laughs> okay, we're going to zoom back up for a minute. I actually, like, leaned back in my chair. That was wow. really cool. Just because your notes are smaller doesn't mean your point encompasses more. I'm just really into this episode. We have to talk about primary elections before yeah, we, we actually start talking about how general elections work. Let's talk about the thing <sighs> that made me very upset at some point. Primary elections are exactly what it says on the tin. They happen first. <laughs> the end. No. So primaries give voters a chance to choose who their party's nominee will be, usually narrowing it down to the one Democrat and one Republican that will appear on the general ballot in November. So whichever candidate gets the most votes within their own party's primary wins. Presidential primaries are their own thing. We will get to those in a second. But for every other office, each state sets the date of their own primary and how they're going to run it. So some states have like closed or semi-closed primaries where like you actually have to be a registered member of a party to vote. Yeah, I think we have that. Yeah. It's not states, amazing, but... Yeah. Minnesota, we have open primaries where... I go to the voting booth on election day and I get a ballot and on one side is all the Democratic races and on the other side is the Republican races and you can only vote in one, but you can like just flip the page. Yeah, I remember uh, for, because I turned 18 after the first time Obama was elected, but there was an election coming up and I had to deregister as a libertarian. I don't want to hear it, Sarah. So I could vote in the Democratic I, primary. I understand you were 18 and probably pretty <laughs> stupid. So It was very stupid. There's also like semi-open primaries. Um, these are where you don't necessarily have to be registered as a party member. But like you go to the vote polling place and you say, I'd like to vote for the Democrats. And they hand you a Democratic ballot. So you have to check with the party you're registered with before you can see other parties. Yeah. So a few states, Louisiana, California, and Washington have what we call nonpartisan blanket primaries, where not only can you vote for any candidate in any party that you want, but the two top vote getters will advance regardless of their party's affiliation. Interesting. Yeah. So like this, I know it was a concern in California a year back because there's like some races, there were so many Democrats running that it was the worry was that they would split the vote in the primary and it would be two Republicans. Uh, running for the general election in what would otherwise be a very Democratic district, but because there were so many Democrats running, it split the vote. I don't think that actually happened, but I remember the Pod Save America guys talking about it. We kind of had that with our mayoral race um, because there were so many people trying to unseat this fucking goober <laughs> that I was like, oh, shit, it's hopefully going to be fine. Do you have ranked choice voting for your mayoral election or just the just usual? Just straight, straight okay. vote. We moved to ranked choice voting, and I don't talk about ranked choice voting in this episode. I assume it's where you just pick your top five. Yeah, so there is no primary. You just kind of, like, rank the people. And, I mean, it worked fine. I mean, that's how Facebook started. (laughs) Uh, So it should be noted that 
primary system is entirely separate from either party's convention system, which is where <laughs> like delegates from each party will gather to decide who the party will formally endorse. An endorsement does not always mean that the candidate is going to win their primary, just that the party apparatus has thrown its support behind him. I like how there are things like the Electoral College and then this, where it's like, yeah, you guys can vote, but in the end, it's going to be like these 15 people who actually pick it. See, the thing is, like, so endorsements can usually translate to a primary victory. That's not always the case. So in Minnesota, our last two governors lost the endorsement, but then went on to win the primary. Interesting. So, like, the voters were just like, no, (laughs) no. Actually, both times it was, no, we don't like the women that the party picked. We're going to go with this old white guy. Yeah. And granted, both of those old white men were very good governors. I worked for one of them. But, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) So, like I said, the presidential primary system, its own overwrought monstrosity. Uh, In presidential primaries, there's no endorsement process. The national committees of both parties ostensibly do not support any one candidate over the other. They leave that choice to the voters. Ah. Not publicly. Ah. Not outwardly. Ah. I think it's safe to say that, you know, party leadership may have a favorite candidate. Could have had Elizabeth Warren, but no. (laughs) Uh, there's also indir- um, there are also indirect elections. So in most cases, people in each state aren't voting for a candidate, but to determine how many delegates that candidate will get at the national convention. So again, not every state operates a presidential primary in the same way. Like some of them are just traditional, straightforward primaries where you're in a voting booth with a ballot. Others have caucuses, which, dear God, caucuses. Honestly, caucuses are bewildering. I don't know how they work. <laughs> I've never been to, like, I have been to one, but we didn't, I just cast my vote I and mean, I left. I mean, isn't it a plot point in, uh, a plot point in Alice in Wonderland that they were having a caucus race and it made no fucking sense? Probably. Generally, what it is, is they're organized by the state party. And instead of casting a ballot, you, you show up in person at a high school gymnasium and you stand in different areas of the room with signs where they're like people will hold up a sign saying Elizabeth Warren for president. And if you want to support Elizabeth Warren, you go over to that corner of the gymnasium. It's and kindergarten shit. Yeah. Once everybody has picked, they'll like kind of count the number of people. And if like some candidates don't meet a certain threshold, those participants can then go choose another candidate that did meet the threshold. So like Beto O'Rourke only got two people so those two people then are free to go and pick another candidate to support and people can actually like go and persuade you to like no come over and support our guy like sounds fucking awful it sounds like a nightmare honestly not interested no (laughs) but to um like there are benefits um but it is a system that is deeply archaic and often discourages participation from less engaged voters can you imagine yeah you have to really want to do this to show up at a fucking high school gym on a weekday it it can take hours like if you've got a job or kids you're not going to be able to go hang out at the caucus for four hours on a tuesday night like and like i said there are benefits but more often than not, it's just I mean, it awful. really just goes to say why, you know, election days or primary days should be holidays. Yes, we'll also get to that. Good. <laughs> See, Emily, you know more than you let on. I've been mad about more than I let on. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So states also decide when they want to hold their presidential primaries. And if it feels like those elections are starting earlier and earlier every year, you are right. It's like Christmas decorating in department stores. They want to get ahead of the retail curve. Exactly. So the reason for that is because there's a lot of benefit in holding your primaries earlier, like bigger um, states stagger their primaries. So the earlier you have yours, the more influence you get to have on the outcome, regardless of how many delegates you're awarding. Yeah. So tradition. Yeah. Shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, like by the time you voted, all the candidates had dropped out. Uh, So traditionally, the Iowa caucuses are the first real contest while New Hampshire holds the first traditional primary. Uh, New Hampshire actually has a state law that requires it to keep that position. So, like, when other states start moving their primaries forward, so does New Hampshire. I can't stand that because it sounds like the most self-important, like, us white people matter more than you white people. It's... mm, I mean, yeah. And but I mean, like presidential candidates, they often pour a lot of their resources into these early states. So you get a lot of media attention. You get a lot of journalists in town eating at your diners, spending money in your hotels. Like, yeah, I but get it. The, the way <laughs> Iowa votes does not speak for the country. No, Iowa. I would say Iowa is not representative of the country as a whole. And that is a big ding against the Iowa caucus as the first contest. But for now, that's what we've got. Uh, so yeah so typically this is Iowa and New Hampshire to a lesser degree like states like South Carolina and Nevada South Carolina actually a little more representative but okay yeah a little so early wins in these state means momentum if you perform well or even if you just exceed expectations that often means increased media attention more dollars in the door which sets you up for success in later states so because of this candidates will put a lot of their resources into the early states and if they don't get that bump they're usually forced to drop out because they simply don't have enough money left and now they placed fourth in iowa so no one gives a shit about them anymore yeah kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy but the real contest for winning delegates is super tuesday uh and this is just whatever day the greatest number of states decides to have their primaries which is actually new information i had learned it's like why super tuesday and it's just like Sometimes a lot of states just pick the right, pick the same day, and that day is Super Tuesday. So it isn't a set date. It isn't even the same states every cycle. But gaining a substantial lead in delegates on Super Tuesday is usually a pretty good sign for your campaign. Likewise, if you fail to win the delegates you need, you really don't have much of a chance to make it up later, mathematically. Yeah. Well, that weed was a little stronger <laughs> than I uh, thought it would be, so. Oh, so this should be a fun rest of the episode. My hand's very we interesting. Are Eight pages in. Oh, dope. Cool. We're getting there. So different parties in different states also have different rules for awarding their delegates. Because, of course, they do. (laughs) So under current Democratic Party rules, all delegates are awarded in proportion to each state's popular vote. So if you win 40% of the vote in South Carolina, you get 40% of their delegates, whatever that roughly maths out How do they determine how many total delegates there are per state? I think it's population-ish. Kind of like the House. Yeah. I mean, it's more, way more. Like, when we come to the Electoral College, it's like 538 votes, and it's very much in line with the House. I think, like, states can have, like, tens and hundreds of delegates, depending on which state they are. Tens of delegates. Tens of delegates. Congratulations, Wyoming. (laughs) Uh, Republicans, true to brand, tend to leave this decision up to the individual state parties. So some will go with the same proportional allocation. Others have moved towards a winner-takes-all model, where 
if you win the most votes in the state, you get all the state's delegates. So this can sometimes lead to this perception every election cycle that Republicans have their shit together because they choose their candidate a lot faster, when really it's just like the proportional allocation system favored by the Democratic Party means it takes a lot longer to a candidate to cross the threshold that, you know, majority of delegates. Yeah, I mean, it seems odd that uh, it's the Democrats who are letting states decide their own thing since, you know. Oh, no, I said Republicans do that. Democrats is the same across the board. Oh. Republicans will do either or. It's up okay. to the state how they want. Either I probably wasn't listening properly. Okay. You so, also took a big hit. <laughs> I took several, but you didn't hear those. <laughs> uh, the Democratic Party also uses a system of superdelegates, uh, and they are unpledged delegates. Are you sick of hearing about superdelegates, Emily? You have no idea, Sarah. <laughs> they are unpledged delegates free to vote for whichever candidate they wish, regardless of the outcome of their state's primary. Though usually they do declare this support in advance of the convention. It's not usually a surprise who are these these people are like, supporting. Just people? Just fucking normal people? Yeah, so it's usually like state party leadership, like the state party chair will be a superdelegate. Um, other elected Democratic officials, like the congressional delegate delegation, sometimes party elders, like former presidents or congressional leaders, like I think Vice President Walter Mondale is probably a superdelegate just by virtue of he was okay, vice so president. so it's not once. just like Ted from down the street. Like No, no, no. They're like someone who knows how this works. party people. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't <laughs> oh, never yeah. mind. So in this also it varies from primary to the next just depending like who's in office and how many whatever. Uh but generally they make up less than 15% of all awarded delegates. Uh it is admittedly not a ter- terribly democratic voting system and it pretty much explicitly exists to give established party leaders more say in who the candidate is. Uh, but mathematically, they've never really tipped the scales from one candidate to another. It's more kind of, it's a perception thing again, where like if a large majority of superdelegates declare their support for a particular candidate, it can often inflate their delegate numbers and give the perception that the candidate has a whole thing sewn up. Therefore, discouraging voters to support another candidate because, oh, well, Hillary Clinton's going to win. So why would we vote for Bernie Sanders? That sort of thing. I'll tell you why we would fucking vote for Bernie Sanders. (laughs) That being said, after um, the kerfuffle in 2016, uh, the Democratic Party changed their rules to reduce the influence held by superdelegates. So now superdelegates can only vote if no candidate is able to secure the nomination on the first ballot. Uh, which would, which it never happens. We're not going to talk about brokered conventions because we haven't had one in years. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about how a brokered convention would play out, please go see uh, season six of The West Wing episodes 21 and 22, Things Fall Apart, and 2,162 Votes. I think the last episode of The West Wing I watched is the one where the president's assistant died. So literally the episode before the very best West Wing episode of all time. Wait, which one is that? What the happens? The season two finale. Two cathedrals. What happens? With a speech in the church. Nope, don't remember that. All right. <clears throat> well, okay, so this is going to be your homework. I remember the 9-11 episode very well. <laughs> That's in the third season. Did I watch that then? <laughs> Why? No, I, okay, I have at least made it to the 9-11 episode, so maybe I saw that. 
and rightfully stopped. No, okay, the 9-11 episode is stupid, but... It was a bummer, but it was very important at the time, Sarah. So here's how the West Wing plays out. We're going to take a detour and talk about this. Season one is great. Season two is perfect. Season three and four, very good. Season five, garbage. But if you get through season five and into the second half of season six, very good. Season seven, very good. So season five End was their series. gas leak uh, season? <laughs> yeah. The one where much. they fired Dan that Harmon? Was the, yeah, that was the first one, literally, yeah, after Aaron Sorkin had left. And, like, I mean, it's not it's not total garbage TV, but, like, compared to the four Aaron Sorkin seasons ahead of it, kind of a letdown. I mean, and it, hap- some I mean of it happened the plots, to Supernatural when Kripke left. and It's just, and it's never a good thing. They do pick it up, though. Like, I think once they get into the presidential primaries and it's... Josh running the Santos campaign, like that stuff is fascinating and where I learned most of my primary knowledge anyway. Which we are still on. (laughs) Actually, no, we're done with that. Oh, good. Uh, One last thing before we get into the mess that is the Electoral College vice presidential running mates. Uh, This hasn't always been a thing. So originally, if you remember from the musical Hamilton. I was just going to (laughs) say The vice president was whatever candidate finished second. Uh, And for a while, uh, it wasn't even an office people could campaign for on their own. It was just a consolation prize, I guess. Um, That didn't work out great. Uh, They changed that pretty quick. Um, And it actually wasn't until the Civil War when it became a thing for presidential and vice presidential candidates to partner in a race. So... In 1864, Abraham Lincoln, who was a Republican from the North, ran with Andrew Johnson, who was a Democrat from the South. And remember, this is at the time when those parties were yeah, just essentially it. switched. Yeah. <laughs> so when, it, when people start yelling about how Lincoln was a Republican. He was a Democrat. Uh, so they ran together as candidates of the National Union Party. Uh, this was great in principle, given the time uh maybe not really in practice as uh because lincoln got assassinated and then succeeded by a president from a different party uh so after that states were like "Mm -hmm, no let's not have this uh so they started putting presidential and vice presidential candidates on the same ballot ticket which essentially prevented the election of a vice president from a different party i mean if you can make it work like make it work but i mean probably not the the only i know there was some Kerf, not kerfuffle is not the word I'm looking for. There was some chatter in 2008 that McCain was going to choose Joe Lieberman as his running mate. That's definitely which, a choice. <laughs> I mean, it would have been a better choice than what he uh, had gone with and might have actually set him up better for the election. But, well. Was that the one with the... Who did he actually pick? Oh, right. That bitch. Uh, that piece of shit who looks like everyone's terrible drunk aunt. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, um, in the 1960s, candidates would start announcing their choice of running mate at the national convention. As conventions became increasingly irrelevant, it's typical now for candidates to choose their running mate ahead of the convention, or in the case of, case of Ted Cruz in 2016, well before they've even secured their nomination. And who was his pick? He picked Carly Fiorina. Ah, oh, God, the sheep lady. <laughs> Yes, the sheep lady. <laughs> she has other things, I'm sure, but... No, nah, she's the sheep lady. Whoa, that was loud. Are so you drinking? Yes, water. Mm. So there's a lot that goes into choosing a running mate, and it usually depends on who the candidate is, 
uh, the goal is almost always to quote unquote balance the ticket. And how many women are in your binder? <laughs> yes. Binders full of, I forgot about binders full of women. Jesus Christ. I wish I could have. No wonder we can't count on him for anything. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so for a long time, there was a lot of consideration of geography. So like maybe you pick a running mate from a different region of the country or from a state whose electoral votes you want to lock down. We're a woman. In recent years, that's not really a thing anymore. It's definitely more ideological and personality driven. So Obama in 2018 or 2008. God. Wow. If only he had run in 2018. <sighs> he was viewed as an inexperienced newcomer. So he picked Joe Biden, who had been in the Senate since the beginning of time and had a lot of foreign policy experience to be as vice president. (laughs) He came to this earth with the Big Bang. Uh, (laughs) He's quite old. Like, Trump did not pick pick Mike Pence because he liked his personality. No one likes Mike Pence's personality. (laughs) Mother doesn't even like Mike Pence's personality. (laughs) He picked Mike Pence because Pence gave him legitimacy with religious voters. I guess. I don't know. Likewise, like, I would say it was almost guaranteed that Joe Biden would pick a woman of color as his running mate, as he rightly should have. Um, Because given the current climate, you would be a stupid idiot not to. Yeah, imagine if he had picked an old white guy. Imagine if he'd picked Tim Kaine. Oh, boy. Though, I will say, though, like, Kamala Harris, fine pick. Will be a great vice president. She's cool. I'm not throwing shade on her, but quite excited about her. We got to talk about it now. The Electoral College. I mean, I asked for this. Like, I literally asked for this, but still. You specifically asked for it. Because I don't understand it. (laughs) No, and it's. I don't know why it's a thing. What's the point? Popular vote. (sighs) Emily, you won't be surprised to hear this, but it's probably racist. Oh, really? Okay. So the Electoral College is a body of electors established by the Constitution, which forms every four years with the sole purpose of electing the president. This was not new knowledge to me, not like now, but recently that like, oh, these are actually people who cast votes. I thought it yeah. was just like a math thing. It's not just a math thing. Like these people will actually like they go to their state capitals and cast actual votes for president. Are these just normal people or are they like important there, we'll get to it. Hmm. It's in here. So um, for those of you confused, uh, yes, that's right. We as a country do not directly choose our president. We vote for electors who in turn vote for the president. Which is the stupidest fucking thing. Every state has the same number of electors as they do members serving in the House and Senate. So the District of Columbia, thank God, is also given three electors. And that brings the number, total number to 538 which they named after Nate Silver's website and not the other way around. (laughs) That's a joke. Yep. Yep, for sure. For sure. (laughs) So every state gets at least three. California, with 55, has the most. States generally require that electors pledge to vote for whoever won the majority of states' votes in that state um, by a winner-take-all system. Maine and Nebraska have, like... What is wrong with these states? (laughs) They just, they can't just do it the same way everybody else does. So in Maine and Nebraska, it's like the two senators for sure will go to the winner of that state. The rest are allocated based on who won their, or who won a certain congressional district. So because, you know, there's like a one to one to one ratio with senators and representatives, it's basically like the senator electors will vote for the majority that went with the state, the representative electors, they're not the same people, just analogous they would vote for whoever won their congressional district. Well, that's dumb. It is. I, why? 
you're just making it needlessly complicated. That being said, neither Maine or Maine or Nebraska has a lot of electoral votes, so it doesn't really matter. Please bear with my very dumb for a second. We sure. elect congressmen, right? Yes. They are directly elected. It's very similar to like how like we do not have a direct democracy. We have a representative democracy. Now, stop me if this is going to be too far down a rabbit hole. What the fuck does Congress do? They pass bills. Okay. Should, do you need me to link you to the Schoolhouse Rock about... No, but I was thinking we should do a mini about how a bill becomes a law, and then I remember that Schoolhouse Rock is a thing. It is. Admittedly, it's hard to remember what Congress does, because what the fuck have they done in the last four years? <laughs> so a candidate cannot just win a majority of the votes. They have to capture a majority of the votes in the right combination of states to win the 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. If neither candidate is able to reach that magic number, the vote goes to the House of Representatives, where like each state gets one vote. Uh, the, this has not happened in recent memory. And hopefully it won't, because, oh boy. Uh, so is this complicated? Yes. Is it archaic? Absolutely. <laughs> is it anti-democratic? Well... The framers of the Constitution did not actually trust the people to choose their own leader. That was just a little too democracy for them. And this was at a time when only white landowning men could vote. There we go. There it is. Found it. Found uh, this, too, was part of the problem. So it put the South at a disadvantage. At the time the Constitution was being written, the populations of the North and the South were more or less the same. But one key difference, a full 40% of the house of the South's population was enslaved. So under a direct electoral system, this would have given them very little voting power, both in the South, I mean, the, both in terms of directly electing a national leader and how many seats they would hold in the legislature. So for Southerners, the solution was obvious. We'll just, you know, we'll count these enslaved people, people, it should be mentioned, who were given no new voice or given no voice in this new system, were literally treated as property, but would count towards the number of seats they got in Congress. Of course. Of course. Uh, the founders representing the North, this is not a non this was a non-starter. Not because, you know, they actually cared about the enslaved people, but you know. Yeah. That's yeah. not fair to them, us other white landowning men. So they eventually reached a compromise. Each enslaved person would be counted as three fifths of a person when it came up to dividing congressional districts. And I feel like this is a thing people are more aware of now, but for those who weren't or who need to be reminded, the founding fathers of our country literally wrote it into the Constitution that black people were worth three-fifths of a white person. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton's great, but you have to remember these are still old white guys from the 1700s. Yeah. Like, I know I forget sometimes that Alexander Hamilton wasn't a Puerto Rican man. <laughs> if only he was. It's fiction, guys. <laughs> so this compromise, in turn, it would be used to form the House of Representatives. It would also go on to form the Electoral College. So there are some concerns a system like the Electoral College raises. I'll, we're going to list a lot of them. But the first is like the possibility for faithless electors or the idea that electors would break their pledge and change their votes then votes to someone other than the winner of their own state. This has been incredibly rare. In the history of the country, only about 1% of electors have ever changed their vote. And a large chunk of those were in 1872, when Democrat Horace Greeley, the losing candidate, died <laughs> between election day and the Electoral College vote. So instead of casting their vote for a losing dead candidate, 
those electors either abstained, split their votes between some other candidates, but like it didn't change the outcome of the election. Ulysses S. Grant won that one. That was okay. <laughs> this was my weird election segment. That's the thing that happened. Um, but for most part, like faithless faithless electors will also almost always switch their vote to a third party candidate or someone that's like not even on the ballot. So there's never been a situation where there's like a mass revolt of electors switching from one candidate to another. And like most states have laws in place to prevent that anyway. Most states. Most. Going back to your question about who the electors are, they're usually just, yeah, folks. I think our party announced them yesterday. And it's usually like people who um, volunteer a lot with the party or it might be like party chairs or like congressional leader. Like, not no, not congressional leaders. I don't think they're actually allowed to be electors. But like they get nominated and appointed. Sometimes they run for election at like the party's convention. But it's no, no big no no one you would know honestly the most terrifying thing you've said this episode is it's just folks it's just folks that being said there are a number of practical problems with the electoral college which doesn't even touch that uh not least of which being that because every state is guaranteed at least three electoral votes regardless of population less populous states will proportionally have more voting power so depending on your point of view this is either a feature or a bug (laughs) it isn't like, it's not necessarily a bad thing, especially way back in the day when people were mostly in larger cities. Like, it means candidates have to appeal to voters everywhere. They can't just go to New York and campaign and win all the votes in New York and be president. Obviously, that the math wouldn't work out today, but that was kind of the idea. They would have to campaign in smaller states that would otherwise be overlooked. And that's how Bill Clinton ended up in a gymnasium in Junction City, Oregon, campaigning for his wife. Yep. Nice guy. In practice, um, a lot of these smaller states just end up being ignored anyway, (laughs) because here's the thing. States that vote reliably for one party or another, whether they go for the Democrat or the Republican, will end up almost being universally ignored during the election. Yeah, I am... We may have had Bill Clinton, but also, yeah, no one fucking cares about Oregon. So, like, California is always going to award its electoral votes to a Democratic candidate. Uh, Louisiana is pretty much guaranteed to vote Republican. Candidates there have, like, they have no incentive to spend any time or money in either of those states because there's very little they can do to change the outcome. You would think Louisiana, with their main draw being a city where it's just tits out and alcohol all the time would be a little bluer. The problem is most of them are tourists. I mean, yeah, but like the locals are fun. There's just not enough of them. Actually, I saw no tits out when I was there. It's just so no one gets false expectations. Yeah, no, I don't think I did either. I didn't go during Mardi Gras no, either. Yep. Yeah. Instead, campaigns focus their resources in swing states or otherwise known as battleground states. These are states where the contest is so close it could conceivably go to a candidate from either party. Uh, so which states or swing states tends to vary from one election cycle to the next. Um, Isn't Ohio one of them this year? Yeah, the big ones are Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Those are kind of the, they're almost always kind of viewed as swing states, but also like not only, yeah, so not only do they have a history of flipping from one party to the next, they also carry an insane number of electoral votes. So those three states together is 67. Pencil, Ohio? Ohio has a large number of votes? Oh, yeah. Ohio has like 20, I think. Where the fuck are they keeping all those people? There's a lot of people in Ohio. They have three major cities. Cincinnati, (laughs) 
Columbus, and Cleveland. Spaghetti. Oh, Cleveland. <laughs> and spaghetti. <laughs> anyway, so like if a candidate can't win at least one of those three states, they're going to have a really hard time getting to 270. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so as a result, a full three quarters of Americans live in states where the majority, the major parties' presidential candidates do not campaign. And the system as it stands also puts black voters at a distinct disadvantage. Do you believe it? Really? Which isn't a surprise, because again, this system was literally designed to give more power to white Southern voters. White Southern men. Night, yeah, white Southern landowner, landowning men. Uh, so for more information on all of this, this is a lot of stuff I got from the, the Atlantic. There is an article there called The Electoral College's Racist Origins by Wilfred Codrington III. Good name. Good, good, solid name. If you want to, like, learn more about it by someone who is smarter than me on the topic, please go read that. It's very interesting. But basically, his argument is the states with the highest concentration of black voters are also southern states that reliably vote Republican, uh, despite the fact that upwards of, like, 90 percent of black voters tend to choose Democratic candidates. And that's not even getting into, like, the history of voter suppression and voter intimidation faced by marginalized communities in this country. I couldn't get into that. That's also a whole episode on its own. Um, I think how stuff or I think stuff you should know did an episode on voter suppression, and that would be a good resource. It'd be hilarious if if it was an episode of how stuff works, (laughs) how to suppress the vote. So under the electoral college, black votes are essentially ignored, as are the votes of anyone in a safe state that isn't voting with the majority. And if people don't feel like their vote matters, they're probably not going to vote at all. Your vote matters. We'll talk about that. Don't worry. Just making sure they know. (laughs) Okay, so let's not forget, because of how the electoral votes are allocated, it is entirely possible for a candidate to win the popular vote or a majority of the votes nationwide and still lose the presidency. You know, I haven't seen that happen in my time, Sarah. You've actually seen it twice in your lifetime, Emily. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) I know you're being facetious to set me up, but thank you. (laughs) Um, So this is exactly what happened in 2016, in case anyone's forgotten. I know I haven't. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million votes, uh, but couldn't win the presidency because, you know, she didn't go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin did this? (laughs) Yes. Those garbage-ass people did this? (laughs) It's always Wisconsin's fault. Fuck them. I'm never buying their cheese again. (laughs) So it doesn't happen, well, historically... It doesn't happen often. It does happen enough. It's happened twice in the last two decades. Uh, the other recent example, of course, being George W. Bush in 2000. There were also some Supreme Court shenanigans involved there, too. Again, not thinking about the Supreme Court right now. Yeah, so essentially, Florida was, there was a recount in Florida. Right. There were ballots left to be counted. The Supreme Court um, voted along party lines in a 5-4 decision to stop the voting in Florida and at that moment, Bush was ahead. So Bush won Florida's electoral votes. Bush won the presidency. Man, we could have lived very different lives. Sliding doors, man. Perhaps one where 9-11 didn't happen. <laughs> Other presidents who lost the popular vote and still became president include John Quincy Adams, Rutherford B. Hayes, and Benjamin Harrison. No, I need you to go back and say John Adams' name in the same way that King George said it in Hamilton. This is a different John Adams. It's his son. Oh, Sorry. Never mind. Keep going. It's the other John Adams. Fine. (laughs) Also, I can, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull off a good Jonathan Groff. It's just not going to happen. So recently there has been some movement to, you know, reform this stupid system a little bit. 
Uh, in the past few years, even 16 states have passed legislation mandating that their electoral votes go to the presidential candidate who wins the national popular vote. Ooh. Uh, for a total of 196 electoral votes so far. However, this legislation only goes into effect when it's been passed by enough states to actually reach that 270 vote threshold. So it's not, this is not going to be a factor in the next election, but it's possible reform down the road. I just have to keep telling myself that since there's a term limit, like even if shit goes south in November, it can't happen again. I mean, never say never, Emily. That's true. <laughs> Finally, for all you people out there who complain about the two-party system, Electoral College does not help with that either. Uh, to be fair, it is less about the Electoral College system and more about the kind of like winner-take-all political system that we operate on. Like, there's no reward for second place. There's no incentive to form a party that can't win a plurality pr- plurality of the votes. Parties need to appeal to as many donors as possible in order to actually be viable. Uh, the Electoral College just exacerbates this. Like, even if a third-party candidate, like, managed to win a handful of states, and like, the most they can do is prevent one of the two major party candidates from gaining a majority. And even then, the vote goes to the House of Representatives, which, of course, already dominated by Democrats and Republicans who are unlikely to cast their vote for a third-party candidate. That's so, fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the system is not set up. Like, third parties technically could manage to grow and supplant another one like the democratic or republican parties but they're never there's never going to be three equal parties you know what i I mean the tea party was a big thing yeah what happened to that oh that's right we elected their president and they didn't have any complaints anymore because there was a white guy in the white house white guy white house you know (laughs) So this has ended being up being a very long rant about how the Electoral College is some real garbage, and I stand by it. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about how this plays out on election night. So as polls close and results start coming in, you're going to start seeing states declared as red or blue, depending on which candidate they win for. Blue states for the Democratic candidate, red states for the Republicans. I think most people are aware of this, like, just through osmosis, but, like, designating liberal states as blue states and conservative states as red states is actually kind of a fairly new thing. Really? So, like, there's always been color-coded electoral maps. Like, if you can print it in color, you're going to print it in – you're going to use that. Um, it certainly got more popular when color TV became a thing. Oh, really? <laughs> but, like, the colors – yeah, surprise, surprise – the colors used for each party has never been really consistent. It would often change depending on the network or the newspaper or which election cycle it was in. It was actually only after the 2000 presidential election that everyone adapted to the same blue and red color scheme. And that was because we didn't decide who the president was on election night. <laughs> it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And because the electoral map was continuously in view on every single news station, whoops, gonna hit my microphone. All major media outlets began to conform to the same color scheme just to make it easy for the viewers. But I want to live in a teal state, Sarah. <laughs> Too bad. You're blue forever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only then that the like the concept of red states and blue states entered popular use. This is also new information for me. We all Why learned something. Ding. All right. So while we're on the subject of election results, and just because it needs to be said, we're in the middle of a pandemic in given the large numbers of people who will be voting by mail or voting absentee it is very likely that this year we will not see a final result on election night this is 
Sorry, go there, ahead. I think Florida recently just did something where if it's postmarked by election day, like they'll still count it for a week. Yeah, I think that law varies by state. And please like check with your local secretary of state to figure out what all the rules are. Akila Hughes told me something about it this morning, and I can't remember exactly uh, what yeah. it was. <laughs> Everything is different, and states are changing their rules, trying to, you know, get around the whole pandemic thing. I actually just got my mail in the ballot today, or my ballot in the mail today. I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> um, I plan to vote absentee, but to drop it off um, at an election place. Yeah, that's what beforehand, we do, so we don't have to. And like, God bless the U.S. Postal Service, but so we they're don't have to trust, their best. But like, so we also don't have to trust them. Yeah, we drop it off at the library. Yeah, not getting a result on election night is not suspicious. It is not weird. It's just how it's going to be this year. <laughs> and please don't let the president's Twitter tell you otherwise. Uh, like some states, I think even have rules stating they can't begin counting mail-in ballots until election day. So that's a weird law. Yeah. Delays are inevitable. They are not a sign of vote tampering. So we get one week of anxiety instead of one night. <laughs> it's, it's like Hanukkah. That you think it's going to be a week, Emily. <laughs> is, is this similar to how you thought the lock-in was going to only last like two months? You know what? Eat a dick. I wanted to see Mulan real bad. <laughs> Still haven't seen it. Please donate to Afternoon Effects <laughs> so Emily can finally see Mulan. <laughs> So we have talked at length about how elections work and how we're, so now we're going to talk about how to actually participate in one because you should. You should really important. should. If you're avail- if you're able to, do it. Uh, so again, rules vary by state, but generally if you are an American citizen and you'll be 18 of years or older on election day, you are able to vote. If your birthday is on election day, I'm actually pretty sure you're able to vote. So for all you Gen Z youths on I TikTok. I think the law is if you have a birthday on election day, you are legally allowed to shoot a hole through a ballot to cast your vote while smoking a cigarette and looking at boobs. Yeah, that's America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some countries have automatic voter registration, where as soon as you become eligible, you are added to the voter rolls. But this is America, and we can't have anything nice. Uh, so most states will require you to register in advance of the election. And we probably should have put this episode out at the beginning of September, but... Theoretically. A lot of deadlines are coming up in October. So if you aren't registered yet, now is the time to go and check. And even if you think you're registered, maybe go check again just in case. If you live in Oregon, if you have done anything with the DMV, you are registered to vote. Good. Other states may have, like, they might have a registration deadline, but they also might have options for registering on election day. So this is my favorite thing about Minnesota. I don't think it's exclusive to Minnesota, but it it just feels very Minnesotan to me. You can literally register at the day of the day of by showing up at your polling place with a neighbor who will vouch and say, yeah, this guy lives here. Wow. Yeah. Don't even need a piece of mail. No. Minnesota is. Need a whole ass human being. Minnesota is very good with the voting. We'll get to it. Generally, the best one stop shop for information on how to get registered, to check your status, to look where your polling place is, request a mail in ballot. All of that is going to be on the website for your Secretary of State. That oh, being said... I thought you said, were going to give the Crooked Media website. I mean, I am. That's coming okay. later. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, like, that being said, I am basing my knowledge off of Minnesota's website. I cannot guarantee that your Secretary of State isn't trash. You might live in Kansas, where it was Chris Kobach for a while, and God forbid. <laughs> so, 
There are other resources, and we will post these in the show notes. We'll put them up on social media, whatever. Uh, Vote.org is a great one. Uh, Postyourvote.org, if you're looking specifically for resources on how to vote by mail, which I get it, pandemic. Um, Also, yes, Crooked Media's votesaveamerica.org. They have all this information. They also have like insights into key swing states and ways to volunteer. They are a very good comprehensive resource if you didn't learn anything from anything from this episode it which honestly blows my mind that everyone doesn't vote by mail like that seems it's the most convenient like it is why are we still making people go to gyms <laughs> i don't get it because we don't like making it easy in this country to vote because if everybody votes i guess it is a form of voter suppression but like yeah oregon has it's had vote voter by suppression mail. light yeah we've had vote in mail for or vote by mail for like I don't know, 20 years? More than that? Yeah. Nothing's ever gone wrong. People just get to vote. Rampant voter fraud happening in Oregon, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, Election day itself is scheduled for the Tuesday of the first full week in November. This year, that is November 3rd. Though, of course, pandemic, many states have early voting or mail-in options or have implemented them because, you know, the plague. So check that. You might not, you might be able to vote early. Um, election day bizarrely is not a national holiday in the U.S. as it is in many other countries who like they actually get the day off of work to vote. Who even thought? Though most states, not all, most states do have laws that guarantee employees right to take time off to vote. This might not necessarily be paid time off. Um, and there's also no federal law in place guaranteeing this right. Of course not. It's almost like they don't want people to vote. Yeah, literally that's the thing is the United States as a whole does not seem terribly interested in doing that. It's just so the people who have the means and time to take time off of work or get to a polling place or... Mm. Mm. Yeah, everyone talks about like, oh, it's so easy. Like, you have no excuse not to vote. Like, those are people who do not have four kids and are working two part-time jobs with, you know, employers that are exploiting them and will not let them take time. Yeah. There are a lot of well, like there's a period in my life where like I couldn't take time off to vote. Like now it's fine, but like working fifty hour weeks have time to vote. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. So again, your mileage may vary depending on what state you live in. Minnesota makes it very easy to register and vote, which in turn means we have one of the highest voter turnout rates in the country. And I just needed to brag about that. We're really good at voting. Yeah. Aren't you guys also a blue state? I'm not saying there's a correlation. We are, yes, and that is part of it. Um, we see that's the thing is like we were technically a swing state in 20, 2016. I think we're technically considered a swing state this time around too because candidates are actually coming to campaign. Minnesota historically has voted blue in every single presidential election in living memory, <laughs> um, including the 1984 election where every single state except Minnesota went to Ronald Reagan. So, um, I We're think it's the, the same but... kind of deal as, as we do over here where it's a blue state because everyone kind of lives in the same like area and then there's just like shitload of like rural areas that's super red. That's very much it. Um it's gotten a little less that in recent years simply because like the northeast corner, like the Iron Range, where they do all the mining. Mm-hmm. That used to be a very reliable democratic area. Um, it's not anymore. <laughs> They're kind of going red in that part of the state. 
Um, but like generally, like in the cities, it's exclusively Democratic. You're we haven't elected Dem- a Republican to Congress in years, and but everywhere outside of maybe Minneapolis, St. Paul, Rochester, Duluth, all red. I forget you guys have Duluth. Yeah, it's very pretty up there. Really? Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. Um, y'all, so yeah, other states, Colorado or Oregon, they automatically mail ballots to every registered voter and you just got to mail them back. Isn't that revolutionary? Or you can drop them off at a number of, uh, like ballot boxes. Yeah. There are, um, plenty of other restrictions states like to put in place that will essentially discourage people from voting. So strict registration deadlines are a part of this. Like if people just don't People don't think about the election. A lot of people, like, obviously, we've been thinking about the election for four years. Constantly, nonstop. (laughs) A lot of people, like, don't even give it any thought until, like, the last two weeks of October. Must be nice to have At which point most of those deadlines have passed, yeah. Um, Voter ID laws are specifically written (laughs) to uh, discourage low-income and marginalized communities not to vote, things like that. Generally, the more obstacles you put in front of voting, the fewer people gets the fewer people get out to the polls, and more often by not, that is usually by design. It is not a fluke. It is yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be like that. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, some countries automatically register their eligible voters. Others actually make it compulsory to vote, but then they also like allow you the time to do so. Like I think Australia makes it mandatory, but they also give you like a week to do it. So you can find any time in that one week to go out and vote. Um, At the very least, um, know what your rights are when it comes time to vote and know where to reach out when you're facing difficulties. Like I said, more likely or not, your employer is required to give you time off to vote. Um, Keep your place in line. Polling places are required to allow you to vote as long as you are in line when the polls close. Uh, And then many nonprofits, local party organizations, even campaigns themselves, they will organize ride chairs on election day. So if your transportation options are limited and you need to get to the polls, look around. I I couldn't tell you exactly where because it varies by where you are. But there's usually some sort of operation like that going on that can help get you to the polls. Uh, Likewise, so if you experience or witness any problems while you're voting, you can call the Election Protection Hotline at one 866 or vote. So do that. Get connected with a good lawyer. <laughs> but Sarah, you cry. <laughs> you just spent an hour and a half telling me how undemocratic and stupid our electoral system is. So why does it matter if I vote? And honestly, like, if that is where you at, I cannot blame you. All I can really say is that, like, the only people that benefit from your apathy are the people who are in power. It's true. So voting is not the end-all be-all of political participation. I would consider it the bare minimum. Like Joe Biden is not anyone's ideal candidate. Electing him to the White House is not going to solve these very deep-seated systemic issues that our country is facing. But if Trump remains in office, it is guaranteed to get worse. So. Well, and voting just doesn't mean for president. It also means for local offices, which your vote does, in fact, matter a lot. And actually, that's my next line in my vote. My notes here is like, if you can't get excited about Biden, I get it. You should still vote for him. But find a local candidate you can get enthusiastic about. There might be someone really great running from Congress in your area or even like a cool city councilor who's 25 and a communist. 
Like, city go council is a very, very fucking big deal, guys. Yeah. So, yeah. So, honestly, like, go find that candidate. Go be their champion. It does make voting a lot more fun and less of a chore. One last thing. Uh, there is so much more you can do beyond voting. And I'm going to list those things for you now. Uh, the first is volunteer. Campaigns, especially those smaller local ones, they need people to make calls. They need to knock on doors. I'm not actually sure if we're knocking on doors anymore. That might not be a thing. But phone yeah, I calls, think it's mostly call-based right now. <laughs> Maybe in the future we'll be back to door knocking. Uh, if you can't volunteer, donate either to a candidate or not even to just a cause you support. You can also protest. Uh, there are marches still happening. Obviously, tonight there's some going on. Godspeed. Just a few. Uh, they are an incredible vehicle for change. Don't think that doesn't matter. Um, call or email your elected officials. Put pressure on them to actually represent you once you have voted them in. And finally, engage in human conversation with your family and friends. I'm not saying go get in a fist fight with your Trump-loving uncle. I just... How did you, you can know? <laughs> You can. It's not going to help anything. Focus on, like, there are people in your life who are persuadable. They may not be super engaged in politics and they might not understand the stakes. But once you're on your side, once you've got them on your side, do make sure that they are registered and have a plan to vote. Yeah, I literally just had to talk to my dad. Like, it works. Yeah, like, I'm not going to convince my dad to vote for Joe Biden. It's not going to happen. Uh, Fox News has poisoned his brain. But I have a cousin who is not super engaged in politics but like understands enough to know that she should vote and so i try to be her guy a little bit those are the people you want to find you gotta pick your battles but you know yeah um my one last thing is if you live somewhere in the somewhere other than the united states and you want to tell us about how your elections vote that sounds super fascinating and please write to me um, if we get enough, maybe we'll put together a mini or something and read your emails or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would but love to hear about how other countries hear. do this. I know the UK is a, a little broken or they just make <laughs> bad choices. But <laughs> a little bit of one, half of that doesn't on the other. Yeah. Have you seen who's running that country? <laughs> She's so old, Sarah. <laughs> the queen. I was talking about the queen. I know this. That's all I've got. Emily, do your do your thing. Oh, the st- not be funny. All right. Um, I mean, you could be funny for a few I got nothing too, on that front right now. How long have we been recording? An hour and a half? Please, yeah. Just I mean, we had to do the mini before that and then the ad, which these I have people been probably haven't for so heard. long. Yeah. Um, welcome to the end of every monster pod where I can't talk anymore. <laughs> yep. All right. So, like uh, said, if you live in a different country has different elections or just have comments uh we're on twitter at afternoonified uh instagram at afternoonified i'd say instagram is probably the best way to get in touch with us would you oh yeah um get afternoon yes get afternoonified.com where you can also email us uh you can buy merch midge midge 2020 shirts have a finite amount of time (laughs) i forgot those are still up I will, we're going to have to discontinue them in November. Yeah, no, it's not going to... It stops it's being not, funny. It stopped being funny now, but like it will not be funny at all yeah. in November 4th. Anyway, so, so you can buy merch, uh, you can donate, uh, but your money right now is probably better spent donating to something else. <laughs> Although I do still really want to see Mulan. <laughs> I won't use your money to see Mulan, I promise. <laughs> Just goes towards hosting and stuff. 
And then uh, afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com is how you can email us directly without having to go to the website. Yep, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, rate, subscribe, review, all of that. That's all I got. Please vote. Please. Please, please vote, do you for guys. Us. If you do one thing between now and Christmas, please vote. I mean, pl- don't vote and, around uh, no, Christmas. Thanksgiving, maybe. <laughs> yeah, between now and Election Day, vote. Um, and I will say specifically, again, vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, it's not great, guys, like we know, but it'll pave the way for something hopefully better. It it can't get any worse. Plus, he likes well, trains. No, it can get worse, but... Well. Anyway, bye. Bye. We love you. It won't get worse. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do, a podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.